Hello and welcome to Cognitive Urbanism. This is Justin Hollander and I am thrilled that you are joining me for this. Um, this is actually our fourth installment of this podcast. And while I've had a great time talking and sharing insights with you in the last three about a variety of different research projects, um, the focus for this podcast is going to be a little bit different. I had the good fortune of having a chance to travel to Denmark a few weeks ago. And I really just want to use this podcast as a chance to offer some of my remarks and comments about the different planning frameworks between Denmark and the United States. I'm also interested in sharing with you some of my insights about some of the outcomes of those those different frameworks, really just kind of how my during my short stay in in Denmark, I uh, responded to the, the the various ways that people use uh, public transit and, and and cities. So let me just begin by uh, offering my great thanks to. Uh, the Danish Land Surveyor Association, who was the organization that uh, brought me over across the ocean to uh, Nyborg, where they were holding their annual meeting. This was an um, uh, organization of chartered sur- land surveyors who, um, it's a little bit different than the U.S. context. Uh, chartered land surveyors do land surveying, as we uh, in the U.S. are familiar with the delineation and observation of uh, property boundaries. But they also have training in law and social sciences and and engineering and and, and urban planning. And so they end up really functioning as urban planners in a lot of uh, private and public settings. So they invited me to talk about some of the research that I've done around population decline and shrinking cities, which uh, was a great honor to be able to share some of some of the research I've done with them. And, and I had a chance to meet a lot of folks who are practicing all over the country. The Nyborg is uh, about an hour and a half drive and train ride away from Copenhagen, the country's capital. So I had a chance to spend time in both of those cities and then took the train and got a, a, a glimpse of the landscape in, in between. But more importantly than anything else, I really had a chance to just talk to a lot of professionals who work in land development and planning. Also uh, spoke and met with a representative from the Danish Town Planning Institute. So this was a pretty full trip where I really got to got to get to learn a lot about what's going on in that northern European country. Now D- Denmark, of course, is a pretty pretty small population wise compared to. U.S. Or, or, or many of the other kind of global dominating uh, countries, but but Denmark actually has quite a rich history as a major center for uh, uh, seafaring industry. Um, the Vikings, uh, you know, sailed from Denmark and, and conquered much of the northern parts of North America and uh, Scandinavia. So today, when we think about planning in Denmark, it, you know, what you what you see is just a, a tremendous amount of centralized authority. And of course, they also have the oldest 
continuously existing monarchy, uh, it, it, certainly in Europe, possibly in the whole world. So there's a culture in Denmark that is very, very much embraces the idea of centralized decision-making and authority. I remember one particular conversation I had with a planner in, in, in outside of working outside of Copenhagen. This is a guy who just was baffled by this idea that, that you could actually have bad planning. And he was really incredulous that, that that could even happen. Well, why doesn't the government just make it better? Well, here in the U.S., we are used to a much more controversial and contentious public government decision-making process that the best outcome is not always one that can be conceived of beforehand and, and, and strategized. So in Denmark, there's the idea that there is a right way to plan for cities and for regions, and they do their best to, to, to implement it. There's not a lot of strong dissenting voices. There's certainly practically no property rights movement in the way that there is um, in the U.S. and some other countries. So what you have in Denmark is the kind of state of the art in terms of what 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 should we be doing in terms of designing cities and regions. And so what does that mean? It means that generally speaking, development only happens in city centers and some very kind of close in suburban areas. Their transit, public transit system is remarkable. In greater Copenhagen, I was shocked by this. The regional transit agency really essentially promised in their literature, a map that I saw, that every person living in greater Copenhagen would have uh, public, some sort of public transit linkage within, um, I think it was 500 meters of, of where they lived or where they had to go. Anywhere you had to go, it's close. You could walk there is, is the, I mean, so, you know, assuming you're able-bodied. Assuming you don't have uh, nine feet of snow, eight feet of snow like we have here in Massachusetts. So this idea that we can centralize decision-making, create the city, a region of the future, and just make it happen um, is actually quite foreign to me as a, as a U.S.-based planner, academic researcher. But so it's important, though, to delve a little more deeply. So what they do is they identify these zones where development is allowed, and then the development really is driven by the government as well. Now, I mean, there are exceptions, but for the most part, what happens is the government says, okay, we want to build new housing over here. And they point on a map. <laughs> and then they say, all right, let's find a, a developer who's going who's gonna to do it. And they put all kinds of restrictions on the, the way the developer, developer can do that job. It's really quite onerous, but not onerous so much that, that there's not a profit to be made. Now, now, keep in mind that Denmark is a capitalist country despite all of its uh, safety nets and, and, and socialist background in, in, in our recent decades, this is a country which uh, has massive global reach in terms of its products and services and industry. Some of the biggest co shipping country companies in the world come from this country. But still, despite all that, when it comes to land and development, there's, there's really strong control. 
And so the result is these pretty dense village developments connected by public transit and highways as well with very little development outside of that. So you, so you have is, is essentially most of Denmark is in zones that cannot be developed for major residential commercial uses. It's really reserved essentially for, for agriculture and kind of the related buildings. Well, one fellow I remember speaking to said that the when it comes to the use of the development in these agricultural lands, you know, it's not like a farmer can just build any kind of building. They're, they're really limited in, in even what they can, can build. Speaking of farming, another factoid I heard was that there are more pigs than people in Denmark. So they love their pork and bacon. So the development system really focuses the development. There's not a lot of new growth. I saw very few cranes um, my, in my travels throughout the countryside, uh, except for the, the building of a, of a new transit line, in fact, a new train line, like a commuter rail type line. And there is this sentiment that, well, I think if we open things up and weren't quite so strict, we may end up creating a more economic activity. Maybe we would grow more. Keep in mind, the reason I was asked to come to the country is because it is a nation of experiencing a lot of depopulation. Population of the country is expected to fall. Uh, scores of cities all, all throughout Denmark are in decline. So the exception to that is Copenhagen, which is the capital. This is a city that is beloved throughout the globe. The students that I teach at Tufts, they love Copenhagen. They just cannot get enough of it. It is so pedestrian friendly. The city is built for people and bicycles. Um, I arrived in the city at a train station called Noriport, kind of like North Station, essentially. This was a place that was built for people, and it really, literally was built in the Middle Ages. So this was a place where there weren't cars. So you can't say, oh, well, it's not car-oriented. Well, it, it, it wasn't designed to be car-oriented. But unlike other places which have evolved, this has not evolved in that way, that they've really maintained a very strong pedestrian orientation. And that was actually, in a very, very famous way, uh, reified when Jan Gell, one of Denmark's most famous urban planners, uh, worked with the mayor to uh, reinstate some pedestrian plazas within the city. They really actually shut down some roads within the, the medieval district of the, of the city. They shut them down, made them pedestrian only. And when I was there, I mean, these pedestrian areas were hopping. I mean, these were very busy places. I remember going to uh, Fresno, California, where they took a road and, and shut it down into cars and made it pedestrian only. And my goodness, these people uh, were, they were, it was a, considered a, a huge mistake. Uh, it was a ghost town. Only criminals and drug addicts hung out in this, in this pedestrian only plaza. Not the case in Copenhagen. Uh, really a rich, rich, vibrant city. Lots of activities. A lot, quite multicultural. Um, and it's important, I, I did um, want to mention this in this podcast, that really only about a week and a half after I came back, there was that really uh, horrible shooting episode um, 
in the city by a man who claimed to be an um, Islamic fundamentalist. So, I mean, there's, there is, it is multicultural, and, um, but it's a, it's definitely a scary time for, for Europe right now. So, the other thing that's kind of worth noting in my uh, visit to Copenhagen is it's, uh, Copenhagen is also famous for what they call the Five Fingers Plan. The idea of extending out from the city center five train lines, like the, hand, like the fingers of a hand, and then really not allowing any development outside of that. And so what's interesting is that 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 plan is, you know, today still kind of recognized as like a model for good regional planning. But if you're at the tip of one finger and you want to go to the tip of another finger, you can't get there. You have to come back into the center of the city. And so, so there's concerns that some of this planning this very kind of highly centralized, highly autocratic planning, it's just not always the best. It's good. It's good. They're very proud of what they've done, but not always the best. And so for that reason, I heard something I never heard in the U.S., which was one of these these guys I talked to said, I, I just wish that for once planning would not be so long-term. Can't they just come up with some sort of short-term vision, and then you modify it as, as the world changes. Well, you know, what I'm used to is a, is a planning system that's, that's a little too short-term. I wouldn't mind a little bit more long-term thinking. But, but so for me, this was really a, a very educational visit. I got a chance to kind of learn about a, a different culture. Uh, people were really friendly and welcoming to me, and I, I really appreciate the Land Surveyors Association for, for hosting um, look forward, stay tuned for more podcasts coming from this uh, Cognitive Urbanism podcast. Have a nice day.